Connection listeners, welcome back to the Ruthless Aggressive Podcast, episode 62. Again, on the road to, uh, to Safeco, WrestleMania 19. Let me bring in my guest because um, this is a good one. It's been, um, you know, we've had a lot of returns uh, in the timeline recently. We had Rock return, we had Stone Cold return. So it's only fitting that I bring in a big name that has not been on the pod in about a year. And now over a year, actually, according to... Um, uh, the date of our last call when we record these. So let me bring them in, and that would be the great uh, immortal Sean Kidd. Oh, wow. What an intro. The great immortal Sean Kidd. Uh, Jake, it's great to be here. It's been a long time. I think we were talking before the pod. It was the infamous uh, SmackDown Halloween episode with uh, Steph- Stephanie McMahon, one of the all-time great moments of Stephanie in 2002. But awesome to be back. Awesome to be here. Hopefully it won't be another year, but awesome. Good. Just great time period and on the way to the greatest wrestlemania of all time according to some including myself right <laughs> of course yeah we're actually not that not that far off um we're only about three weeks away at this point as we're going to get into things are a bit it's uh one of these situations where there's a bit of a flux going on um heading into wrestlemania a little bit of uncertainty with for um we we I started covering with jt last week but we're going to dive further into it as we see it continue to work itself out Absolutely, and it's it'll be cool to kind of go through that perspective and hear that because at the time when that's going on, you I didn't know any of anything that was going on except I was going to rest. I, I was getting I got uh, Steve Austin back, you got Rock back, and they were clearly building to Lesnar and uh, and Angle, so it was really setting up for a banger of a mania. So the behind the scenes stuff is almost as interesting. So, right. Uh, last thing I'll ask you since it has been a while, like you said, the Halloween episode. So about. <laughs> Four four months ish in the timeline. 
Mm-hmm. Any overarching thoughts on this as we've moved from 02 into 03? We've kind of gotten further into the, um, you know, the Triple H run, the whole Steiner fiasco. We've got uh, Brock losing the title and, you know, how we've come back to it with him facing Angle. Just kind of any thoughts on this whole period since you were last on moving in the, the 02 to 03? Man, it's kind of been a roller coaster. Like, Raw clearly has issues, is not mm. the A show. SmackDown is clearly a better show. We'll see how that plays out tonight. Um, Austin, obviously, being back is a big deal. Um, it, there's just it, It's just so much. If you really had to filter through everything, there's a lot that's happened um, in the four months I haven't been on that has totally shifted. And I remember back when I first did this podcast, it was just starting where uh, we were going on on Bubba Ray, and Bubba Ray was one <laughs> of the main eventers, and then you gradually get into Austin left, uh, and then you get into the Halloween episode where they're bringing in new people like Cena and Stephanie's taking over. Then you have Brock lose it out of nowhere at Survivor Series. Just a lot's going on in a short amount of time and probably one of the fastest moving periods of time I can remember in WWE history. Just a lot happens. So Right. Yep. And um, as we talked about last time, a lot of change uh, behind the scenes as we had Heyman kind of got ousted from creative and he's sort of credited with a lot of the mm-hmm. the good things not to say he was the sole reason for the you know what was going on smackdown but and something i haven't covered a lot that i should probably mention too as we're getting to this because i do think you see smackdown maybe not that it's you know not good anymore but it's kind of tapered off from that high point like when you were last on in that kind of fall of 02 mm-hmm. but um also I, i've ever talked about the ratings for smackdown we're also good at this point. Like I believe that SmackDown was kind of outperforming and I know it's on network TV. So a little bit of a different ball game, but still for being something that's considered the B show, it was also doing pretty well in the ratings at this point too. And that's a great point to make too, because well, it was also clearly the better show, which mm-hmm. is interesting with the whole aim and else to be announced because like the guy took a get like, imagine like in 2002 saying, you know what? We're going to have Brock Lesnar lose the title to the big show. Like, you would think you were nuts. And then set this whole trajectory with Lesnar, right? And, you know, made him a baby face, which was just amazing that they, they did that with him. It, it's, it's just crazy to think about the SmackDown. And I, some could probably argue that even today, we're kind of in that same realm where SmackDown, because it's on Fox, is probably considered mm-hmm. the better show than Raw. So kind mm-hmm. of an interesting dynamic here roughly 20 years later where we might be in the same situation a little bit because it also gets the higher ratings. So. Right. Right. And I think SmackDown's kind of had, you know, I know that the, the viewpoint of this era is that like, you know, well, SmackDown was the, if you're into wrestling, like Mm -hmm. if you like longer matches, but I would argue that what's kind of held up SmackDown too, is not just the longer and better matches, but I do think they've had more compelling angles and better characters on SmackDown too. And they're great wrestlers, but, you know, Angle's a great character. They did a good job bringing Brock along. You have Heyman there. Um, you know, even on the undercard, you have, like, uh, Matt Hardy version one and all that. So I would argue that you even are sort of getting better characters on SmackDown, too. So they kind of have had the full package. But Yeah, and let's not undersell mm-hmm. the whole Team Angle gimmick and what a great team that mm-hmm. was to add to the ta- table. So, yeah, you're definitely spot on. The characters, the storylines. Definitely a little bit more compelling than what we were getting over on uh, on Raw. So, right. But to get us into um, our current week here, we'll kind of transition. See that there are a few things maybe getting in SmackDown's way that are um, 
could be attributed to the style that they've been working, like this more physical style mm-hmm. that we talked about last time. As the main story, as we get into our news notes, that is um, uh, in the company is the injury to Kurt Angle. He injured himself at No Way Out. Um, his surgery was originally scheduled for March 17th. So just to let you know, this would be, um, so we're going to be covering the March 10th and March um, 13th episodes of uh, of TV here. So his his surgery was supposed to be scheduled for pretty much the week after this TV, uh, but is being moved to early April. The plan uh, changed on March 11th, uh, as we're going to get into, we cover the show uh, that he was going to drop it to Brock, not to spoil what we're about to cover, but pretty much at the last minute, Kirk decided to postpone his surgery so that he would still be able to work mania and even go as far as to say that he was planning to work a real match, that they weren't going to really try and protect him. As when we do eventually get to WrestleMania 19, we will see that they... You would not be able to tell that he was supposed to have surgery soon based on how they worked that match and how physical it is. But yeah, so this is kind of what's happening here. And we're going to see it on SmackDown is they were kind of in this limbo where they, they kind of booked and they even say it as when we get to SmackDown, like WrestleMania, the WrestleMania events come is come early as we're going to get Brock and Kurt and we'll see how that plays out. But there was kind of plans to drop the title for uh, like the contingency plan was angle drops the title and then Lesnar faces Benoit at WrestleMania, which is insane to think about in retrospect, but that that would have been the, uh, the alternative as we see, it's not quite going to get there, of course, but it's, it's a crazy situation they have going here. And apparently um, Mel Tiever mentions that angle went as far as to like, ask all those involved kind of mention, like discuss with them what the plan should be and that he didn't want to back out. Like he discussed it with Benoit. Cause I guess he felt like he was maybe taking an opportunity away from Benoit. He discussed it with Brock, with Vince, all these people and being the insane man that he is. Uh, he just decided that he was going to, was going to go through with it. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think about in retrospect, how really messed up Kurt Angle was uh, going into WrestleMania. Um, I know everybody knows it now, but back then, you know, I mean, the dirt sheets were around and everything back then, but I didn't really pay attention to those. So um, I had no idea. I, for one, was super excited to get Angle versus Lesnar because I just thought the match itself would have stole WrestleMania, and some would probably say it did. Uh, but we won't get into that too much because you still got to cover that. But I also think the Benoit thing is interesting because, if I recall, it was Benoit that took on Angle at Royal Rumble, right? I'm going to get sure I got mm-hmm. my timelines correct. And they had yes. a really banger match. He got a standing ovation. So it seemed natural that the backup would be Benoit and Lesnar. And that probably would have been a banger of a match too. And considering where Benoit kind of is in the card now with, you know, kind of this tag team with Rhino, very different Benoit and how that would have played out. And you think about that big moment in 2004 with him and Eddie, and that could have happened in 2003, a year earlier, and then it would have changed the whole course of history. So Angle's, Deciding to stick with the WrestleMania plan, do the match, probably altered a ton of history that actually played out over a long course of time. Yeah, not to get too far in the weeds what, yeah. what WrestleMania yep. would look like, but it's you would imagine, like, does that match close like Angle Lesnar mm-hmm. does? I would think probably not, just because I don't know if Benoit quite, quite had the star power in their eyes. I would like, think Austin, wonder, do, mm-hmm, yeah, Austin, you're right. I would think Austin Rock would have closed it, yep. Right, and so does Austin get kind of his like his moment at the end of WrestleMania kind of is going off in the sunset. A lot goes into it, but um, none of that happens because Kurt Angle is a maniac and he doesn't care <laughs> about his body pretty yeah, much. He's freaking nuts. Point. He's like, nuts. Certified nuts. Right. Yep. Right. And um, 
I won't go too much into it, but in this issue, if you go around this time frame, and I think this is like the March 17th issue of The Observer or something, there's a really good, uh, Meltzer does get into a good kind of almost like historical look and like he, about the whole idea of these injuries and, you know, how they're piling up with these guys now and what is the reason for them. Like in the case of like Edge and, and Benoit, they're more like wear and tear injuries as opposed to like just freak things that he attributes to the style. He looks at like Japan and all that. And like, what are those guys? Cause they work a physical style, but it's real interesting. If you ever want to, uh, if you ever go read this one, it just, it's an interesting, more historical overall look at the entire wrestling landscape when it comes to these injuries and like how guys back in the, you know, like in your crock and roll days, Sean, he mentions how, you know, how you have all these guys in this time frame getting these surgeries where that was like, considered absolute last resort back in the eighties and stuff, because these guys didn't want to miss time because they have guaranteed contracts and it led them to mm-hmm. do a lot more of the pain pills and drugs and alcohol to get through it. But it's a real interesting look at all that. Um, you know, for all the criticism, you know, and a lot of times rightfully so that Meltzer gets, I think his strength is definitely looking at things through like a historical lens. And, uh, he does a really good job in here. If you're interested, um, in that topic, go check out this one. He does a really good job kind of breaking it down. Yeah, I actually read it today. So I subscribe uh, for uh, seven months of danger. I subscribe uh, to the uh, Observer to kind of go back and do similar stuff you do here with the notes because I thought that was a really cool thing you do. So I've been reading it. And so for this podcast today, I went back and read that whole entire thing you just talked about. And you're right. It even brings up how Benoit, that everyone needs to change their style. But then again, Benoit didn't. It's a really, really good read. So I agree with you 100%. Yep. And uh, the last one on a little bit of a, uh, not quite a serious note as the one we just did. Just a random one about XPW. I just found this funny. Mm. XPW is claiming to run a pay-per-view in May, blah, 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 because of the they uh, have sold 1,500 tickets uh, in Pittsburgh thanks to Shane Douglas. Uh, <laughs> and they mentioned that he cuts a promo pretty much saying that uh, everyone's sick of WWE and XPW is the place to come. So Shane Douglas still uh, running the same gimmick that he did in ECW now with XPW. Just running down whatever's the bigger promotion. XPW's the place to be. Uh, just I thought that was funny. Yeah. Just that he's kind of recycling the same deal. Pretty coincidental, too, that today we saw that he is actually doing a reunion-type show against one of the Pitbull, against the Pitbull from that famous CCW, and they're doing that, like, here, I guess, in a few weeks. So Shane Douglas, I guess, is eternal at this point. <laughs> yeah, he's going to cut a promo about AEW or some shit. <laughs> yeah, probably. Keeps- getting this shit in but anyway that that's pretty much it again the main news notes are just about all that um kind of uh uncertainty around wrestlemania so but we will dive in and see how it all starts to play out we'll go straight into raw uh this will be the march 10th 03 raw and we open uh kind of a cold open with eric uh so his same uh band of troops that he had to attack austin last week he tells them that he wants a truce and that's when rock shows up and then uh Rock just outright says that he's not going to face Booker T this week, uh, which was supposed to be his match this week. Mm-hmm. He's not scared of Booker T, but fighting for the title is not important to him right now. He's not worried about Booker T or getting the title shot. He wants to uh, deal with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he has done everything but beat Stone Cold Steve Austin at Mania. Eric is upset because he says they got to think of the sponsor, and Rock says there's no problem. He's the main event anyway. It doesn't matter who he faces, so he will find a new opponent. So kind of setting some storylines in place. Uh, Eric wanting a truce and, a, and Rock kind of swerving us and not facing Booker tonight. I love this opening because one, uh, 2003 Rock is for me probably the best Rock, um, even over his Attitude Era stuff. And the fact that he came in and basically 
So here's the problem. It's Booker T, right? We know where Booker T's going with Triple H, and he's going to be in the one of the main events of WrestleMania. But Rock comes in and totally sells him. He's like, ah, you know what? I don't care about the title. I don't care about Booker T. I ain't wrestling. So he kind of shits on Booker T a little bit. And then what I do love is the simplicity of the setup of the story with Austin. And it seems kind of mm-hmm. weird at the time because Austin had left, but it's natural. You know what? Screw the title. I want to beat Austin at a WrestleMania. The story had sold itself. I thought the opening was great. Yep. Agree. Yeah. It's more, and it, we'll get more into when they get to their promo later in the show and they kind of hash out a bit more. But I agree with you. It's a nice, simple storyline. And it's kind of a nice hook to start the show because now you want to see, well, who is Rock going to face if he's going to have a different opponent? opponent. And I don't really mind it because I thought it was kind of an odd it would have been an odd direction to go anyway, because definitely Rock would overshadow Booker. So I think it's good to pivot there. You got Eric trying to figure out what he's going to do. So it kind of um, hooks you into the show and gets us rolling, um, which will lead us into our first match, which is going to be uh, the, the somewhat on the Rocks tag team of RVD and Kane. It's like well, at one point they look like they're this great team doing well. Then they're arguing, so on and so forth. But they were facing Jericho and Christian. So uh Pretty good little matchup, a uh, nice little star power in this opening match. I thought the the wrestling, I thought they were nice and stuck throughout this. A lot of stiff strikes. Uh, Jericho hits a nice flying clothesline uh, early on that I thought was real good. Just everybody connecting really well on their on their, uh, on their their stuff. I thought everything looked pretty nice. Uh, RVD hits the top rope kick that is nice and flush. But, but we kind of settle into like the heels are trying to stop... Um, like, they're trying to um, stop the fire, but Kane and RVD are just too fired up and just keep coming straight at him. He hits the five-star on Christian, but Jericho kind of comes in at the last minute and steals it with the line salt. But uh, it was a very short match, but I enjoyed it for what it was. Like I said, it was some good fast-paced action. Every, all these guys getting their shit in. I mean, you got a lot of talent in the ring with this. Um, the finish was interesting, but I guess the idea is they want Jericho to look good because he probably has the most high-profile feud going on of all these guys so i get it in that way and he kind of did the heel thing and stole it but i thought it was a good little few minutes of action to open uh open raw so I actually went two and a half with sean yeah i went to you i went I actually went two on a quarter i could probably be convinced to get two and a half but yeah a, a quick good little home stretch here of a match um i guess uh, I, there's a couple things in here that i found were funny is uh, the commentator said rvd and Kane were one of the winning winningest teams in wwe history which i thought was a little <laughs> bit of a stretch uh, the whole Michaels Jericho thing at the time was considered a dream match because Michaels of the past, Jericho is considered kind of like the Michaels of the time. So for me, that was another big one that I could not wait to see that match. And Michaels had only wrestled a handful of matches at this point. So him and Jericho was going to be awesome. Um, Christian, you know, kind of more, it's kind of very annoying, kind of never really got that post edge singles run, still kind of blah in the ring. He hasn't really developed that whole personality, and he's not like this big star yet. But yeah, um, and the other fact in this is I still think it's a damn shame Rob Rob Van Dam never got that breakout moment as a single star from the Attitude Era. But yeah, a, a quick little great match I went to in a quarter. So not a bad opener here. Mm-hmm. And as you kind of alluded to, Jericho's gloating as he walks up the ramp about stealing the victory. And of course, Sean's waiting for him at the top of the ramp. And gives him a sweet chin music to get some revenge for the beatdown from last week. So just kind of some simple stuff to uh, continue to remind us of their feud. I am wondering, because I know what sort of becomes, and it's been mentioned a bit in the build to this, but I'm wondering, as we only have a couple weeks left, if if on TV they're going to get into the whole idea of like, 
uh, like Jericho kind of idolizing Sean when he was coming up at wrestling and that sort of angle to it, because they really haven't done a whole lot of it. Like I said, it's been mentioned off and on, but they haven't really pushed that as the main story here. So I'm wondering in the next few weeks and in, in this home stretch, if they're going to kind of amp it up a bit with these two, because it, it's weird. They've been feuding, but it's kind of been like Jericho is dealing with other people at the same time. They haven't really fully invested Jericho into going one-on-one with Sean. He's kind of messing around with Tess still, and kind of the Sean stuff is a little bit on the side. So I'm wondering, I'm hoping next week that they really crank up the heat on and go full into it. Yeah, it's a good point. Like we talked about the simplicity of Rock and Austin selling itself. You would think it would be almost as simple as Chris and Sean kind of playing that same dynamic based on their similar styles and who they are and the comparisons. You would think they would go into that pretty fast. And you're right. They haven't done that yet. So we'll see. We'll see. They have a couple weeks left. I'm hoping they do. But all right. So we um, JT and I spoke about the the disastrous Triple H promo last (laughs) week. We'll see how they followed up. And you can already tell they're trying to retcon a bit. As Booker T comes out, he addresses Triple H's comments last week. Um, He says that he wanted to hit him. And you know what? But if Triple H wants to call him entertainer, you know what? He is an entertainer. He comes out to, um, you know, for the fans because that's what he's supposed to do. He then goes into this whole thing, revealing his past about how he ended up in jail and he had a, a rough upbringing and so on and so forth. And Triple H hasn't walked in his shoes, but uh, pretty much like at WrestleMania, he's going to see when he's going to walk in his shoes when he kicks his ass or something like that. Um, that yeah, he's going to walk all over his ass uh, mm-hmm. when uh you know, when they walk down the aisle. So uh, I thought this was a, I mean, obviously better than last week when he just looked like he was, you know, just a complete wuss, but um, it at least gives some rationale as to why he wouldn't have attacked triple H. And like, I think at this time, like in the, you know, in the overarching culture, there was this whole idea of like, I guess they were trying to make it seem like he didn't want to be portrayed as like quote, the angry black man or something. Mm-hmm. Which I think looking back on it, we're like, no, he would have been right to be angry. But that's kind of how there's, to, I guess, to WWE in 2003, that's like more of a baby face move to do is like, you know, I guess more respectful to them. You know, I don't really know what they're going for, but like they're trying to make it more of a redemption story, like making him less of an ass kicker and more like, you know what, I don't have to stoop to his level. Uh, you know, I'll face him at WrestleMania, whatever, whatever, which. I don't know. I still think Triple H deserves to get his ass beat. But uh, what did you think before we get into uh, the rebuttal? Mm-hmm. What did you think of of Booker's sort of coming out and trying to, I guess, save face from last week when he kind of got punked out? Yeah, on many, many pods that I've been on or <laughs> even in random chats, uh, people know I am not the biggest Booker T guy. Um, what was good in this is I do feel like Booker is a person that should be set up to be Triple H because – I personally don't see him as a WrestleMania main eventer here. And I feel like the racial overtones that they're doing, which are extremely uncomfortable, by the way, mm-hmm. um, no matter what time frame you're in, this is like a Vince McMahon booking thing where let's make it interesting. Let's give it a little bit of pep in our step, because I honestly think that maybe in Vince's mind, he didn't see Booker as that guy challenging Triple H either. Um, what I do like, though, is that they give they did go back and do the whole redemption kind of thing. Booker has a really good redemption story. For me, I think it plays off a little too little too late based on what they did the prior mm-hmm. week. And now they're trying to retro a little bit, realizing that the racial stuff was not real good. But then again, based on what you're going to talk about next, I feel like they wiped it all out based on some of the comments. And I'll go from there. 
Right. Again, they're trying to play it as if the reason he didn't hit him is because he's, you know, he's like, no, I'm better than that. Yeah. And you're kind of like, yeah, you, it wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have judged you, Booker, if you would have beat the shit out of him. I mean, it would have been understandable, man. It's, it's all good. Yeah, like, exactly. He's an it's asshole. Like, yeah, exactly. And but really, again, asshole. Mm-hmm. Yep. right. I just think in WWE's eye, their kind of storytelling, they think that this is more endearing, you know, mm-hmm. like this is more sympathetic. But anyway, um, Flair comes down and says that uh, Booker isn't Michael Jordan and he isn't Triple H. And he says, um, 19 months in the big house means he's bad to the bone. So one thing I have to say here, and I mentioned it last week for, I said, triple H, you know, he's trying to do this flair cosplay kind of thing. And even in this flares, like the, just coming out and cutting this like secondary promo, he puts Booker T over more than triple H. Like it's just like in flares instincts to like put your opponent over. Like, mm-hmm. like even he puts this line here, like, you know, you went to jail for that long. You must be a badass. Like, so already Flair's put him over more than Triple H did in his 20-minute promo last week. But anyway, uh, but he says he might be bad to the bone, but he's not the champ next week in St. Louis. Uh, he's either going to meet Triple H's jet and carry the bags, or he's going to make the mistake of a lifetime and show up and get his ass whipped. So, again, like you said, maybe not being as heavy-handed and egregious as last week, but definitely still sticking what – I mean, they know what they're doing, you know, carry my bags and that sort of thing. Um and so, they're, like you mentioned a second ago, Sean, they're still they're not totally shying away from the aspect, which, again, it makes it seem like if you're going to build this redemption story, you kind of have to go a certain way with it. And as we'll see, that's not what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, Flair, listen, Flair is great as being the cosplay Flair spokesman uh, for Triple H. <laughs> and you're right, <laughs> right. That's always been a really good Flair trope that. He always puts his opponents over, even on Crocker Roll, you hear it all the time. He puts over, like right now we're in the American Great American Bash, puts over Garvin, puts over Hawk. Like he puts everybody over in his promos and then proceeds to shit all over him, but at least he does put him over first. Uh, but yeah, for me, even to your point, the redemption stuff, I hated the innuendo about, hey, you could be the show for the bag carrier because it still goes a little back to that racial overtone stuff that is so unnecessary and it's like they're not fully committed to go with the redemption storyline. I feel like they got to hang on to a little bit of the other part they're trying to do. And it just doesn't work for me, if you know what I mean. I just don't think it was needed. So just give Booker the redemption story, cut out the show for bad carrier BS, and let's just do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like we mentioned, like last thing I'll say is we kind of mentioned last week, go more with the, and they kind of get into a bit, but go with the Triple H being smug about, Booker being from WCW, like, well, you were from mm-hmm. a second-rate promotion. Mm-hmm. Like, may, like go that route is probably a little better. You could kind of build the same thing. But, yeah, it's, you know, I guess better than last week, but that's a pretty low bar. You could even go, hey, world champion of a company you put out of business, or even something that simplistic, right? Because he was the champion when it ended. So there's a lot he could have done there with it, and he, they haven't gone there either, so. All right. Um, all right, so... Um, Anyway, Rock uh, once uh, has a message to send, so um, we'll, we'll see what that is later. But anyway, we then have uh, we see Booker T backstage, uh, who confronts Triple H in the bathroom. Uh, Triple H offers him the money in a mocking way, and then Booker lights him up. So at least we got um, uh, at least we got some physicality out of Booker T here. So again, it's fine. Like uh, like it doesn't make Booker T like an unsympathetic person to beat up someone who said awful things that Triple H said. But anyway, after that, Flair tells Triple H he has to make Booker pay for doing this. So, again, we, we keep saying it. They're they're definitely trying to... I feel like they know what they did last week probably fell flat, 
or did not work at all, and they're trying to go in a different direction. Yeah, the other thing I loved here is I loved mm -hmm. Triple H getting his ass beat, but I also love the fact that you just randomly walk in the bathroom and Triple H is just randomly running water through his hair in the sink, and it's supposed to be normal. <laughs> and that popped me a little bit because you literally just like throw in the water in his hair and you're just supposed to say, oh, that's normal. And so that, that was pretty funny. But yeah, I thought the ass kicking was pretty good, actually. Right. So again, trying to make him look, you know, give him a little bit more in this one. But all right, we will follow this up with uh, we'll go from our championship youth, <laughs> something that is not a championship level uh, match. That's going to be Rico versus Jeff Hardy here. So uh, not a lot to list, Sean. This was uh, a Jeff Hardy enhancement match. He kind of hits all the stuff, the whisper in the wind. He hits a big dive to the outside and then. Oddly, it, for something that's really just meant to put him over, he wins with a roll-up. Not sure why he wouldn't just, like, win with the Swanton and look strong, but he wins with a roll-up. I don't know. I just want to star on it. It was a real basic just oh. Jeff Hardy enhancement match. He just, Rico gets fed to him. You're so nice. Uh, during this match, also, Austin arrives, and he dumps a bunch of crap on this girl, by the way, which I thought was <laughs> hilarious. Um, and I also thought it was an appropriate match for him to arrive, by the way. I'm not sure really why this match was here. Uh, there was really actually no reason for it. And honestly, Jake, in this time frame, I legit forgot Hardy was still here. I thought he was gone by now, and he's not. Um, yeah, and I went only went a quarter. Uh, this match mm -hmm. was just a waste of complete time and airspace. I just didn't understand it. So, Yeah, like they're building Jeff Hardy up for probably nothing like they've been doing for six months, honestly. I mean, he just kind of comes and makes it seem like they care about him. And then he just kind of fizzles out. And it sort of seems like that's where this is going. Like they did the Sean thing. But I'm pretty sure that's probably going to get dropped too. So he's just mm -hmm. constantly in flux. But I, I have to see how it plays out. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Um, we then head backstage and we see Maven. He uh, makes a smart remark to uh, Triple H about getting beat up by Booker T. So uh, Triple H grabs him by the neck, throws him against the wall, and demands a match tonight. And uh, <laughs> Triple H, my reaction to this, JR said it best when he goes, Triple H and Maven? Like, uh, it's uh, <laughs> quite a matchup. What a what a random match to be set up coming out of the Booker T. Triple H versus Maven. <laughs> yeah. Makes no sense. I say, hey, let's just randomly book this for Triple H tonight. No story. Not just nothing there. Just, right. just do it. Yep. And that's what you're gonna see. It's gonna be it's like the great he's gonna this match will be the great value version of something else on this show. <laughs> that's uh kind of the same idea, but executed a thousand times better with the yep. rock. So we'll get to that in a second. Yep. All right, we um we then see, I thought this is funny too, like his big return in like one of the first um like segments Stone Cold's in is running in the gold dust, stuttering gold dust. Like it's like they're catching up as buddies and uh, uh, Goldie stutters his way through telling him that Eric B -B Bischoff wants to bury the hatchet. Um, so just kind of random having gold dust, like this gold dust Stone Cold interaction as one of his first things back. But uh, yeah, just kind of pushing that... Uh, like getting across the, that Eric's trying to bury the hatch with Stone Cold and pushing that along. Yeah, but Tourette's gold dust at the time was a big deal. I mean, he'd been on Howard Stern. Right. And I don't know if he actually, I think he, I don't know if he had been in Stern at this point. Maybe he was, but uh, the Tourette's gimmick was a big one. And actually, I think they just said the word Bischoff so he could actually say it as a bitch off, is what he said. Uh, <laughs> Eric Bischoff. So um, I always enjoy Tourette's gold dust. Probably not the best use of Stone Cold Steve Austin, but I'll forgive it. <laughs> I almost wonder if it's like Stone Cold coming back and being like, Dustin's my buddy. Like, let me do a segment with him. I know he's got this thing. Like, it could be just that. Like, Austin's got that kind of pull. He might have just wanted to 
That's true. Yeah. It's possible. Yep. <laughs> anyway. All right. We then head to the Hollywood Rocks locker room. He's strumming his guitar and he welcomes someone into the dressing room. And he's asked him if he's ready to go one-on-one with the great one. And we reveal, we reveal that it is the Hurricane. And that tonight, that will be Rock's opponent. Uh, toe-to-toe with a superhero. Rock is super hyped about this. He says it's going to be no DQ. All superpowers go. He says, what's a Hurricane's superpower going to be? What you going to do? Throw a McNugget? Uh, <laughs> Hurricane comes back and says, no, I got my Hurra powers, bitch. Uh, I love... Um, <laughs> I love fear. So they just kind of go back and forth. I love rocks. Um, how uneasy he looks when hurricane repeats the, the line from last week about the tiny dingling, <laughs> like mm-hmm. his face just drops immediately. Um, but to end this, uh, perfect heel move rock just lands a last second, like cheap slap on him before he kind of gets out of there. So just a good little chicken shit. heel move. But we said it last week, these interactions are just so good. Rock is just, He's so awesome here, and Hurricane has good timing. He nails his lines that he gets, like with the, uh, you know, uh, Saiyan Rock has a tiny dingling, but everything the Rock's doing, like the you're going to throw a McNugget, all superpowers go, um, just all his facial expressions reacting, putting over everything the Hurricane's telling him. It's just, um, it's so good. And in a matter of a couple weeks, this very random match, I'm pretty hyped for Yeah, and same here. So I want, in context, the, the run between these two is amazing, how short it is. But I want you to go back to how Triple H put over somebody new in that interaction mm-hmm. with Maven, and we'll see how that plays out later. And think about what Rock has done for Hurricane, to your point, in just a few like segments that they've been together over the course of time. Their interactions are amazing. Um, and they're really good together. They play well off each other. I absolutely love the Rock telling Hurricane it's the big and nice, biggest, nice, biggest night of his career because it was. So mm-hmm. it's just simple and effective and just good, solid booking that you want to see this match play out. And they did a really good job with that. And you got to owe a lot of that to Rock and Hurricane selling it. So really good stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. It's been it's been great. The, what you got to do? Throw a chicken McNugget? Come on. What superpowers you got? Yeah, it's okay. great. It's great. Um, all right. We'll now go into our uh, women's match tonight. It's going to be Trish versus Jazz, or so we think. Uh and uh, we get one stiff kick by uh, Jazz, and then Trish hits the satisfaction, and then immediately Victoria comes in and lays them both out with the belt. Um, so I didn't even really count this as a match. It was more like, I mean, they they literally only did like those two moves that I just listed. But I thought it was okay as a way to kind of get Victoria over as like unhinged, you know, that she would just come in and break up the match kind of spontaneously. So I didn't mind it from that if this is where they're going with this kind of you definitely feel some kind of like triple threat type of thing coming, but I thought it was okay for Victoria's character. Yeah, and clearly the Divas back in the day is not today's WWE. The Divas were booked very differently. They got the short end of the stick on the segment, and honestly, there's only these three they could really book around, um, which I know I, when Logan was on with you a few pods ago, I know he brought up there's more coming, because, but right now, this is your three, really, and that's all you can really do. And um, There's only so much build you could do to this this match they're going to have at WrestleMania. So we'll just have to see how that plays out. But definitely difference with the women's wrestling here and what you get today. So probably mm-hmm. about what you should expect at this point in time in 2003, honestly, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And I mean, all three are talented. So, I mean, it's not, you know, I won't write it off. But, yeah, just a real quick basic deal to push that along. Yep. All right. We now get uh, Bischoff coming out. He starts trying to make up to Stone Cold. He wants his truce. He doesn't want any beef with Stone Cold. He says he's sorry for saying that Austin would amount to anything. And he's also sorry for breaking JR's head with a cinder block. 
Um, but if you think about it, this is such a good line. He says, um, if you think about it, if you had never fired him in WCW, there would be no Stone Cold. So in a way, Eric is partly responsible for how great Stone Cold Steve Austin's run has been. So um, he then goes on to compare him and Austin says, you know, we're really not that different. Very similar. We're, uh, we both like our jeans. We're both drinkers. You drink beer. I drink martinis, but we're both drinkers. And you know what? You know, it's time for us to just bury the hatchet. Cue the glass breaking. Out comes Austin. Um, Eric wants, uh, he says he wants bygones to be bygones. Uh, and uh, so Austin's still working heavy in the, the what cadence in his promo is kind of feeding off the crowd. I mean, he kind of has no choice because everything he says, the crowd does the what chant, but he works it well. Like you want, like he does the whole, like you want bygones to be bygones. You want to bury the hatchet. What? Like that whole cadence. And then he ends it by flipping off Eric. He says that everything Eric said was boring. And he, instead of burying the hatchet, he's going to bury his foot in his ass. And so at this point, we have Rock that then comes out and interrupts and then lays out his gripe that he's never beat him. And Austin says, I beat you twice. You want to go for three times? Um, Rock says, nah, nah, stone cold nothing. He's a stone cold nothing. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Steve nothing. And Austin says, let's fight now. Barack says that he only wants him at Mania. Austin wants to beat, wants to beat him up, and Eric is right there. Uh, Austin says he wants to beat up somebody, so instead of going after Rock, he just beats up Eric in the ring. And uh, Rock pretends like he's going to run in and kind of just quickly retreats. But I, I really like this, too, because you get into Rock getting into more of the details. He talks about how, you know, I'm a Hollywood movie star, I'm the most electrifying man in, in all of wrestling and sports entertainment. I've done this. I, you know, I played, co you know, they get into all these details. I'm like, um, and JR is really good in this. I don't get into it later, but they really just start laying out, like you said earlier, just a simple, straightforward, but, and especially when you have two guys that are on this level, you don't really need anything that's the most complex. They're both so over. They're both such icons that it, it's just that simple that he's never, it's like someone who's never, <laughs> you know, beating a certain team in the playoffs or something like that or on the biggest stage. It's just that kind of thing, and it just works. I mean, you know, I I think Austin maybe is – I mean, he's Austin. He's doing well here, like – um, but he still has that Austin intensity. I don't think he's at his, like, peak, mm -hmm. like, the, you know, his greatest promo, but he still has that intensity and the urgency. And, um, yeah, I thought it was effective stuff, like, to build this, just to – guys who can just go and just doing their thing. And it's, you know, it's hard for them to kind of fuck up, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Eric, so first off, Eric taking credit for Austin being Austin. I mean, it's kind of true. If you really think about it, he fired him. <laughs> and that's where he, so it's kind of the best heels always speak truth is what you hear. Right. They believe in what they're saying. Well, this one's true. Yeah. I, you, I like this as well. I'm probably going to have a little bit of a take on this one. That bugs me a little bit. It's kind of like you brought it up with Austin just a little bit. He had just gotten back. And even though he'd been away for a little while, I feel like they really rushed him into this program because really consider his only match has been with uh, Bischoff since he's been back, right? And he's back and they jump right into the pro uh, rock thing. And immediately when he's in the ring, I almost feel like it's a bit overplayed at this point. Um, you said he wasn't at the top of his game. I went overplayed because even after mm -hmm. a break of coming back, again, they rushed it and... I understand why they wanted to do it uh, because they had they wanted Rock to do it and Rock wanted to do it and it made sense for the Rock. I feel like we didn't get enough Austin time to marinate with him being back to the time of where they're building to this. And for me, that took me out a little bit. But you're right, it's still great. I mean, you could have a little bit of overplayed Austin be better than anything else on the show when he's with the Rock. 
So I'm still fine with it, but there's still that little bit of me in that. Yeah, Austin just doesn't feel quite like Austin right now anymore to me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think too when he's out there with The Rock, The Rock has this whole new like refreshed heel persona, Great and point. he's kind of doing these new different things, and so he's coming in, and they're just kind of coming in with like, well, it's Austin, like that's good enough. Good point. Where Rock is coming in doing this whole different thing, you know, this like I said, this whole new persona that feels fresh, and they're just doing like, well, it's Austin. Like, yeah. just be satisfied that you got Austin that he's back. And it's, and I said it last week, it's so hard to separate knowing and, and trying to figure out, you know, like, is he kind of running on fumes here? And he, he kind of knows that he's not really long for this, that he's not going to be around too much longer. And it's hard to say, like, do I, am I just reading that into it? Cause I know it's true. Or is that really how it's coming off? And, you know, it's hard to really say, but I, I do think he does. Like, I don't think he's checked out, but I do think he's kind of, like, I feel like he's more baseline Stone Cold, which, like I said, is still it's still Stone Cold. But yeah. he doesn't feel like he's like he doesn't feel like he's operating on this next level like Rock is right now. Yep, I agree. So we'll just see how it plays out. But it's still, I mean, just great, great stuff. Still great. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Right. So but um, so that's kind of in place. And now we will go to our um, <laughs> the Triple H challenge as he's going to be facing Maven. So. We'll see how poor Maven fares here. And uh, he does not fare well. This is just an absolute methodical destruction. Uh, the whole time, I mean, JR is just blowing Triple H on commentary. Like, I mean, good Lord. I mean, I don't know. He could have compared to the anyone. Like, you know, like every wrestler, like Luthez or something, Harley Race. He's like, he is the best wrestler in the entire game. He is the game. Just, I mean, good Lord. I mean, you would have thought Triple H like paid him. But anyway, Maven gets thrown to the steps. Uh, like we keep saying it, but it's hard not to see. And Sean, I know you see it. Like just full on Harley Race cosplay. Like doing the, doing a sleeper in the middle of this match. Like a long extended sleeper in what is pretty much a squash match. But just working this methodical pace. You know, they're just trying to make Triple H look dominant. And, uh, you know, kudos to Maven because he, he is a good crash test dummy here, but he got nothing in this. Just, um, uh, just you know, Triple H tosses him, I mean, tosses him out. Just, uh, sorry, wins with the, the pedigree, and then, like, after he gets the pin, he kind of throws him over the ropes. Maven gets caught in the kind of the hangman position, and they have to free him. Just, again, I just want a star on it. This was just a squash. Make Triple H look like he's dominant. Maven is just complete fodder. Yeah, I went half a star. Um, I thought the rope spot that they did with him getting caught on the ropes was actually pretty good. I mean, it looked pretty savage when it happened, so I was actually impressed. But it's kind of like you hear the saying that Hogan must pose, Triple H must dominate. And in 2002, 2003, that was the MO for Triple H. Just beat the shit out of everybody. I'm the star. You sell it, and you deal with it. And that's really what we got here, and that's what he does. And not only does he beat up Maven, and – he just makes Maven look like a total loser. So it was good to make uh, Maven win tough enough just to lose the Triple H. But then he turns around and does the same thing that Al Snow is instructor. So right. triple, really nothing got out of this except to make look, Triple H look dominant. And why did he have to do that? But if we look at comparisons later on when we get to the Rock versus Hurricane versus what he does for the Hurricane versus what a Triple H does for the Maven, for, for the Maven, for Maven, <laughs> the Maven, the Maven, for Maven. That's fantastic. What he does for Maven it's the polar opposite, and that's kind of why Triple H has a reputation for how he is back in the day because he really is kind of an asshole. So that's right. And I will say, for you know, you this is like 
a not a super entertaining like dominant squash either. Like this is not a cool like you know psycho Sid kind of fun squash where you just like he does it and and I know that's supposed to be his character, he's cerebral, whatever, but he does it in such a methodical like I said, he just works like a, a minute long sleeper. Like it's a squash match. Come on, like what are we doing? Just like be like, do we really need a, a sleeper in the middle of a squash match? Just get your shit in, throw Maven around, look dominant and get out. Like, why are we doing a sleeper hold in the middle of this? It makes no yeah. sense. But are you gonna cosplay Ric Flair or Harley Race, or you're just gonna cosplay both? Which one's good? That's what he does. You're right. Yep. And uh, like you said, Al Snow even comes out. He gets pedigree too. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a good point. Triple H was dominate. That's what this whole match was. Yep. Much more to it. All right. Eric Bischoff is beside himself backstage over Austin's behavior. Morley tries to calm him down, says you can't reason with a guy like that. And uh, But uh, Bischoff says that now that Vince is occupied and Vince is off his ass, he can do what he wants and he wants a rematch. And he pretty much implies that he wants to, like, he's going to get his rematch with Stone Cold and he has some kind of trick up his sleeve that's going to allow him to get some revenge on Stone Cold. But he doesn't quite um, reveal what it's going to be. So he kind of leaves us hanging right there. But mm. and still kind of rolling with the, the Eric stuff, even though we've kind of, they're trying to get into rock. It's, you know, they're not fully leaving the Bischoff part of this behind. Yeah, I think. I think they should move on. I mean, I, I, basically for me, all this did was remind me that Eric and Steve is the same story they're doing with Hogan and Vince on SmackDown and SmackDown's doing it better. And so right. we could, we should be moving on from this to go full on into the rock and Austin and move on from this Eric and Steve shit. So that's my take right. on that. <laughs> Agree. All right. We didn't see Stacy speaking on the phone with test and, uh, she finds out that uh, Tess is in South Padre Island with girls gone wild, and she is not happy about this. So the strife in the relationship of Tess and Stacy over this girls gone wild stuff uh, and Tess seeing all those boobies that he's seeing in girls gone wild is uh, upsetting Stacy. Yeah, and um, I also enjoy that uh, uh, Tess uh, got beat down a week ago, and now he's in San Padre. So <laughs> I thought that was, yeah, that's pretty great. He doesn't care about his push anymore. He doesn't care about the testicles. He's just worried about the boobies. The <laughs> boobies and girls going wild. Fantastic. Uh, carrying on, Terry informs Austin of the rematch, and Austin just kind of smiles um, that he's looking forward to beating Eric's ass again. So, Yeah, how about uh, Steiner playing second fiddle here after a big main event run? Right. <laughs> after his debut, and now he's kind of like, Austin and Steiner together should have been a big moment. And Steiner's just kind of sitting there nodding, nodding and being kind of the second guy just to be there. Uh, one of the most dud debuts of wrestling history. There is no doubt about it. Uh, Scott Steiner. Just right. like he um, it was like he was like an Easter egg or something in the background. Like he doesn't speak or anything. He's just like, like you said, it's almost just like a fun still image, like Austin and Steiner and WWE talking to each other. But yeah, he's just kind of there. Yeah, he made a vented your last two pay-per-views. Now he's the background noise with Austin being back. It doesn't even get to say a word on camera. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, meteoric fall for a big yep. pop of pump. Yep. Anyway, all right. So um, we believe the Dudleys are reinstated, but are they? Morley says that they're going to be in a handicap match. Um, the, like the Dudleys come out like they're going to have a match, but Morley says it's actually be a handicap match with Devon. And if he wins, they get their jobs back. But if not, you know, they're still fired, et cetera, et cetera. He has the police with them. They pull Bub out, uh, really trying to push that the Dudleys are like these big rebels. And again, I keep saying Ugh. it. I've been saying it for like weeks, this whole thing just needs to end. It's really not like 
not buying it. I feel like they don't know anything else to do with the Dudley, so they have them doing this. I just, I don't buy like the whole, you know, them being escorted by the police, like they're stone cold or something. It's just not. And then with Chief Morley as the authority figure, it's not, it's not a, it's no Austin Vince. I'll tell you that. I didn't remember any of this whole, <laughs> if Devon wins, Morley will reinstate the Dudleys. And if they lose, they're still suspended. Like, I didn't remember this storyline one because I didn't care. Um, and it's just terrible. Like this whole thing was just a big fat, like turd. And man, <laughs> honestly, the raw mid card is, it's kind of bad. <laughs> so yeah, this yep. is, mm-hmm. this is awful. This awful, awful, it's, awful. Yeah. It's been their weakness for a long time. It's what makes these shows drag. It's that, and I, I feel like a broken record saying it, but it's always what separates SmackDown. Like SmackDown will have filler, but it's at least like entertaining filler where Raw has this as filler, which is just kind of lame filler. But they do storylines with their filler, which we'll talk about when we mm-hmm. get to SmackDown around people that if they were used on Raw would just kind of mesh in with everything. Over there, they try to take the people that mesh in and actually do something with them. There's the difference. So we'll talk about that yep. later. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Uh, but anyway, uh, they in the match, they kind of try to push the narrative. They're trying to get over like Devon's fired up because he knows he's fighting for the job. So he does kind of fight pretty valiantly. He, he goes for some good strategy, going for the sneaky pins to try and get the quick win to sort of build a little bit of drama, but the numbers are too much. They just kind of overwhelm him, and <laughs> then Morley beats him with the money shot. So the Dudleys just kind of get squashed here. Um, I mean, I want to star on it. Again, I thought they, for what they were trying to do, I thought the match kind of told that story well, but it was a pretty basic uh, affair. I totally went for a dud for Dudley. <laughs> Um, yeah, total, total dud. This is absolutely trash. Sorry, Jake. I couldn't go one star on it. It's awful. Yeah, again, I'm going <laughs> off of what they were going for, but I, I'm with you. I've been asking for this to end for weeks. I'm so you've been so asking so for forward. like Bubba Ray to go away since you started this. Pod, <laughs> right. So, yeah. It's just like, you know, every week it's like, are the Dudley's reading say like, I don't even care. I, I really don't like. Like you got I'm a not, long way to go for the Dudleys, my friend. So you might as well. Right, but I mean, let them do something else. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but this I whole agree. like, I'm supposed to care like if they're fired or not because I just don't really like. It's not a very telling feud. But all right, now we're gonna get our weekly girls going wild glorified commercial as they're gonna have uh, King come out to us the girls going wild wet T-shirt contest. Uh, we get uh, four Cleveland's finest here, uh, Sean. I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned before, boring Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, these look like some ladies. They got it um, yeah, probably not the most uh, high, <laughs> I would say this, high class, uh, you know, gentleman's club. That's the most I'll say. Uh, and then Stacey Keebler comes out, too, because uh, she wants to be wild. She kind of takes it over from King and... Uh, because she's kind of, go- I guess, trying to get revenge on or make Tess jealous or something like that. Or or maybe prove to him that she could be just like these girls going wild girls. But anyway, they have a, a big super soaker. Uh, King makes a, a cum joke telling her not to shoot prematurely. Uh, then Stacy super soaks them. Now, here's the thing. This <laughs> is a little bit of a... So, <laughs> from, my ex- from my knowledge... Uh, a wet t-shirt contest, you're supposed to have a white t-shirt because the whole idea is, you know, a white t-shirt gets wet. You could see, as Tess would say, you could see the boobies. But they wear these extremely bright orange shirts. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I could not think of, you know, a less um, effective for a wet t-shirt contest than an orange shirt. Like, they were obviously trying to make sure, like, nothing got shown, which kind of defeats the entire purpose, you know. But 
Stacy's going to be at the Girls Gone Wild pay-per-view, but she wants to get wild right now, so King sprays her ass with the Super Soaker. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, um, again, this is a Girls Gone Wild commercial. Uh, so a few notes here. I absolutely despise Jerry Lawler still going after <laughs> TNA in 2003. It is so just repetitive. Um, we're building to WrestleMania, and this is on the fucking TV. Was my next note. And my last note was, uh, <laughs> I apologize. Stacy takes it in the butt, and yes, I said that because <laughs> she got squirted in the butt. So that was my last yeah, note. Did. We could be off from there. <laughs> she did. She yes. had uh, Jerry the King sprayed all over her ass. Yeah, and so they blatantly did. wanted you to walk away with what I just said, and that's why I said it. Oh, 100%. So, yes. <laughs> she actually had the white shorts on, so they knew what they were doing. They like, sure as hell did, and freaking those, those probably 2000, 2003 Sean probably ate it right up. 2022 Sean's kind of over it, so ready to shell out the thirty bucks for that pay per view. Yep, that was the whole reason for buying it. It wasn't any of the rest of the card. It was that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, yep. All right. Anyway, but uh, right here as we're going into our main event here with Rock versus Hurricane, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but Jr. again does a really awesome job, kind of laying out this whole Austin Rock narrative, like listing all Rock's accomplishments. And then kind of ending with, uh, but he has never beaten Stone Cold Steve Austin on the big stage. So a real good JR, like kind of JR doing this thing. Like, you know, JR at his best is doing this kind of thing, like kind of laying the storyline out. He has a good delivery. So I kind of dug that as he kind of does that as we're getting into the entrances. Yep, I agree. agree with you 100%. And, uh, all right, so we go into the main event, Rock versus Hurricane. We start with The Rock. He's kind of toying around with Hurricane, slapping him. Hurricane fires back a few shots. Uh, Rock comes back with a Samoan drop, which kind of um, ethers uh, Hurricane for a second. So uh, Rock takes the opportunity to grab the cape. He puts the cape on, starts mocking him, walking around. He gets a, a nice suplex. So that was a nice tight suplex by Rock. Uh, he retains the advantage, healing off between all his offense, playing to the crown, but always kind of keeping the match going. He never, like, stalls so much that it gets boring. He, he's always going for He gets a headlock. But just, again, just really good heel stuff playing to the crowd. Finally, Hurricane escapes a back suplex and hits a, a des desperation neckbreaker. Keeps hammering away. He's starting to fire up. Hits a crossbody. And now the crowd is really starting to get behind him. He goes for the choke slam, which gets a big pop. Rock escapes that. Hurricane sneaks in a low blow because it is no DQ. It actually does nail the choke slam. JR, I thought, maybe was going a little bit too heavy. He was going like full Jeff Hardy taker mode on this one. Uh, you know, like, come on, kid, make yourself famous. Like, all right, JR, you used that line already. Let's come up with something new. But uh, anyway, Rock recovers. He goes for the people's elbow. You're thinking that's going to be it. But at that point, the glass breaks. Um, and again, just uh, Rock is so good here. He he goes, he's looking at Austin, and then Hurricane goes and rolls him up for the win to a huge pop. And his facial expression, the Rock's facial expression is so good. As soon as he realizes he gets pinned, his eyes just bug out of his head. Like, did I really just lose to fucking Hurricane? Uh, just a really well done piece of business here. Uh, and to me, it kind of make. I know they're going with the classic, like, guy getting distracted. But to me, it kind of worked better here because they've established a story that Rock is kind of obsessed with Stone Cold right now. That his whole, everything he's thinking about is that he, how he wants to beat Stone Cold Mania. So it does sort of make sense that he would focus his attention on Stone Cold. So I kind of, it doesn't make the the finish seem as hokey as tropey, I think. But uh, yeah, I thought this is a, a fun little piece of business. The whole thing, you know, Hurricane running up the ramp, like jumping. 
uh, jumping for joy uh, up the ramp as Austin smiles back at him because he knows he just screwed Rock out of this match. Uh, just the whole thing. Ended up going three stars on it. It's it's an awesome package, like you said. It's an awesome moment for Hurricane. It builds the Rock and Austin stuff. Uh, Rock is so great throughout the whole thing, playing the perfect heel. They work the match in the exact right way you want to kind of get the crowd behind Hurricane just for him to come back and sneak the win at the end. But whole thing is is it was real fun. Yeah, I'll go with you. I think for like the story it told and all in, I'm going three stars. I have to reiterate one more time how great the Hollywood Rock all-time entrance video is. I mean, oh, yeah. it's amazing. The all-timer. And again, I want to go back to what a vast difference it is with the Rock, with the Hurricane, versus what Triple H Maven was. Um, I love Rock putting on the cape and making superhero gestures, which is fantastic. Uh, Hurricane was a great face in peril that was kind of fighting back with those signs of life, which were awesome. Um, I thought the match was entertaining, told a great story. I think you're right on one thing is JR kind of playing it up like that whole Taker Hardy situation. Mm-hmm. That ladder could kind of gets your thing, kid. I get what you're saying that, but I still think JR, JR did what he knew how to do, and I thought it worked a little bit. Um, and Rock really did the honors here to make Hurricane shine, and the Austin appearance here made such sense and intensifies the Mania match even more and just can't reiterate enough how great Hollywood Rock is and what a pleasure it was that we at least get to see him, even if it's a short run, we are all better for having this run for Rock. And I also went three stars. Just good, good stuff across the board here. Yeah, nice thing to um, to kind of end the show on. Just a fun moment and kind of makes you want to see, because you want to see, well, how's Rock going to react to this on the next show? How's he going to make excuses for it? Mm-hmm. Right? Kind of hooks you in. But, um, but that kind of wraps up Raw. Uh, I still think it's a hard show to rate because – Again, it was just, I mean, since he's kind of shown back up on Raw, Rock is just kind of carrying these shows. There's whole, not really a whole lot else going on on these. Um, but the Austin Rock stuff was really well done. The main event's real fun. But unfortunately, what holds the show down is that a lot of a lot of the other stuff seems pretty phoned in. Like, you just kind of get random Rico-Jeff Hardy match. I mean, they built the Booker T stuff. I think it wasn't as egregious as the last week, but it's still nothing too great. Um, so I ended up going down the middle five out of 10 and it's really all in the back of like mostly rock, but also kind of like the rock Austin promo and, and all that kind of stuff, because really not a whole lot else going on in the show. I mean, you got the Jericho Sean stuff, but that was real simple. Yeah. Um, what did you go on it? Like as far as like the show itself, I went five out of 10 right down the middle. Yeah. So I struggled too, because to your point, rock carries his show. I mean, you said it perfectly. Like, but then the Jericho stuff with Michaels kind of edges itself in a little bit, just not to the degree. Um, and then a hurricane as well. But the mid card is so bad. The Triple H stuff mm-hmm. is so bad. The beatdown from Booker was good, but overall that's bad. I actually went four out of ten. Um, honestly, mm-hmm. if it wasn't if it wasn't for the Rock and the Hurricane stuff here, and the Rock and the promos throughout the show, it could probably be even as low as a three. But I went four just solely, probably for the Rock. So. Uh, I mean, 100%. He's like, he is really thrown raw on his back since he's got, you know, since he's shown back up and was really carrying these shows and is like 100% the highlight of them. I mean, no doubt about it. Yep. Agreed. All right. We will see how uh, SmackDown fares now. So we'll head to Pittsburgh for SmackDown, the uh, March 13th, 03. Uh, SmackDown, of course, we're coming from Kurt's hometown. Uh, we see both of them arriving to the arena, Kurt and Brock. Kurt's looking a little uneasy. He's got the black eye from last week where his eye was busted open. 
um, Brock kind of looks cool and calm and collected and already building to this big match. Cause we're essentially the way it's been built. We're getting, you know, a WrestleMania title match on SmackDown. So they're really milking that Kurt's hometown, that whole narrative. And that's really what's going to really what this show is going to be about. That's the centerpiece of this episode of SmackDown. And, yeah. And him walking, you know, down the hall, like and his eyes all jacked up. He's got a black guy. Um, and again, when you're watching this at that point in time, you're, you don't understand what they're doing because you said it earlier, why? But if you weren't reading the dirt sheets or you weren't didn't know what was going on or you weren't on the internet, you had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. So I stayed away from that back then. So I was like, really? They're doing this in Pittsburgh in his hometown? What are they doing? So the way it plays out as the show goes on and then the a huge disappointment that we might talk about coming up um, had no context for me at the time watching it live. So it's different watching it now with, you know, eyes that, you know, why they're doing it. Right. So for me, it's a little different this mm-hmm. time. So right. but still I a great can only imagine, yeah. yeah, like with no context, it had to be kind of like baffling as to why they would, but, like what will be the reason. But the visual of him in, like I said, just looking beat to shit, just, I mean, it sold you right there. It's like, these guys are going to go into WrestleMania no matter what, and they're going to beat the shit out of each other because he's already messed up. So it's just good stuff. I love this stuff on SmackDown back then. And we'll start with a pretty cool match uh, to open this, a cool tag match, because we're going to get Team Mango, Haas, and Benjamin versus Ray and Kidman. So a good kind of uh, classic cruiser uh, cruiser pairing from the WCW days. But uh, I say it every week. This is one of those things I just can't hammer. But Ray is just so – I mean, he's always good. I mean, he's good in WCW. But since his return, I mean, he's not lost a step. Like, he's just so crisp. Like, his moves are so good. Like, here in the early going, he gets like this – like a helicopter, Hurricane Rana, that is just like fantastic. Um, it's just all Ray and Kidman at the beginning, um, just coming at them with the speed. And Haas and Benjamin are kind of reeling until finally uh, turns the tables and Kidman smacks his shoulder on the ring post. And so uh, Team Angle immediately go to work on it, on the injured arm. So, um, which is good. It kind of fits their their character. That That's sort of what they've learned from Kurt. They're amateur wrestlers. That's what they know. Uh, they do that awesome leapfrog double team move that I love so much. Uh, Kidman fires back with some hope spots, which he's always real good at. He hits a nice enziguri. Ray gets the hot tag. And again, he's just so fucking smooth. Like he does these like cross bodies and he seems to be like hanging in the air for like three seconds. Just looks so good. Uh, Kidman ends up back in there. Uh, they kind of hammer away at him again. Haas ends up in trouble and gets hit with the 619. Kidman goes up for the shooting star. Scary moment as he kind of is a little bit, I guess, um, mm-hmm. I forget who we did on Haas. I think it was Haas, but, uh, probably too close to the turnbuckle and Kidman kind of hits his leg on mm-hmm. the uh, ropes. It looked like he came away. Okay. But it, you could tell it kind of threw off their timing on the, like when he hits his leg, they're all kind of freeze for a second. And then it kind of throws off the pin breakup when Shelton comes in to break up the pin. So a little bit of a janky moment there, but they recover quickly. Things kind of break down and team angle end up uh, taking the win with that. Uh, another awesome, their double team finish, which is a super, very oh. simple, but effective, but the super kick into the German on Kidman and they end up winning with that, but just 10 minutes of good action from just, uh, you know, four guys who can go in a good kind of, um, dynamic here. We have Ray and Kidman who are like these, the cruiserweights with their speed and they have team angle who are kind of going with the technical side of it, working them over, you know, as soon as they see an injury in Kidman, they go after, but just good solid tag stuff. And it's nice to see team angle, um, pick up a win, um, which they kind of need after, you know, they've been, like, we've discussed it. It's not like it's they've been 
not like they've been made to look like shit, but they have been picking up some losses and all these kind of handicap matches and stuff. So it's good to get them a good solid win. So I ended up going three on it, Sean. Just a real fun tag opener. Um, I actually went three and a quarter. Uh, the first note I made mm-hmm. is I didn't understand why it was non-title. Like, why w- this was not for the belts. I guess I didn't understand why, because this would be a great title match. And to your point, good teamwork by the faces. Billy had like a hell of a punch top rope knocking like Haas off the apron. Uh, team angle working Kidman, Kidman's arm I thought was good limb work. Uh, Kidman's really good as a face in peril when he's selling the arm. And then the hot tag to Ray is great. You brought up where Kidman almost ate shit, so I'm glad he recovered on that because that could have been really bad. Um, there's a great save by Shelton on one of the pins. And then the other thing you said, their finisher, the super kick into the German, is awesome. Mm. Um, I thought it was great. Only The only thing I didn't understand is why it wasn't for the tag team titles, but I went three and a quarter. Really, really great opener. Great match. The more I watch these guys, like, and I know, like, they're not, like, the first ones. Obviously, there's, like, some Steiners influence in this, but I do think they're a bit different than the Steiners because the Steiners were kind of more power guys a bit. Mm-hmm. But these guys end up being like, if you look at wrestling today, how many teams have they had like coming through like NXT and stuff that are essentially just kind of doing the team angle thing. I mean, obviously you have like American alpha and stuff. I mean, these guys end up being kind of low key influential and in, like the WWE kind of tag, like the, you know, they just always seem to have a tag that, seems like they're modeled after team angle yeah and team angle isn't talked enough they're not mm-hmm. talked about enough in one of the great tag teams in history because they even though it might not have been that long of a run they are definitely one of the greatest tag teams to ever come through smackdown or wwf and they're, it's not talked about enough to be honest yeah it's real fun watching them like they're and they're just been out the gate like since they showed up just kind of i mean they just took to it quickly yep. it's awesome absolutely but, yep great opener but uh, we continue on, and we see uh, Brian Kendrick. He's uh, bringing some flowers to Stephanie. Uh, he thanks her for the Kurt match, even though he didn't win. And Steph's just kind of like, all right, thanks, uh, Brian, and kind of mm. on. So I don't know. I don't know where this is going, Sean. But I don't know. I mentioned but... before that it's very, uh, it's very uh, you know, uh, <laughs> young man with the female boss. Okay, so know, I'm just going to summon in a few words. Kendrick going for the Stephanie trim for 2003 Stephanie is the best Stephanie that you should be going for. So I give the man mad credit. That's all I'll say. Yeah, he's, he's shooting the <laughs> shot. He, he's shooting the shot. As would both of us in 2003. <laughs> well, if we had the shot. <laughs> uh, another man shooting a shot is Jamie Noble as he visits the Playboy Mansion to uh, look for some. Uh, he has a bone to pick because uh, he wants to cause a ruckus because Nidia was not picked for Playboy. So I love I love the detail here is that. Like, it ends up being that he's here for, like, six hours or something because they have the little time, and he ends up getting there at, like, 9 a.m., and by the end of this whole segment, it's, like, 3 in the afternoon, and he's just, like, knocking on the door, anybody in there? And, like, they don't answer the door. Uh, I love when they answer, they think he's the pool cleaner. Uh, but he, he lays out Nidia's case. My Nidia is pure class. Why don't you put her in Playboy? You put that blonde bimbo Tory on there. And uh, eventually he just gets escorted away, but... I, I dig this. Um, I love the Jamie Noble character. And I kind of like, they don't, I wish they would do more of these in this time frame, but it kind of had that old school, like, vignette. Like, how they would, you know, in the old, like, 80s stuff, they would always do these little, like, remote segments where, like, shooting on these random locations and kind of doing all these vignettes. It kind of had that feeling to it. Just, like, some good old, like, um, old school WWF nonsense. Yeah, I, the Jamie Noble character is amazing. Um the pool, the the pool cleaning line was fantastic. Um, I love that Jamie was kicked out. It kind of took me back a little bit to the Eddie 
Guerrero. You remember that when he would go mm-hmm. with the whole China thing with Playboy Mansion? And you know, Hugh Hefner has no clue this is being even filmed at the mansion because no, nobody went through him to book it. But yeah, this is a fun little segment. Jamie Noble, again, probably one of the most underrated characters in WWE history. Probably would have probably would have fit real well in the '80s gimmicks of uh, in the '80s gimmicks. Probably just a little too. Uh, Probably would have been too far ahead of his time then, but yeah, he's fantastic. He doesn't get enough credit either. So really good stuff from him. And again, is this the most consequential thing? No, but it's like no. entertaining. It's it like a good little character moment. Yes. And they get to plug their Playboy shit. So absolutely. There you go. All right. We will now go into the uh the continuing uh conflict between Rikishi and the FBI. Rikishi's gonna be facing Chuck Palumbo uh in this match. Of course, the FBI are at ringside. Uh, you get a, I like the little opening deal that they did here. So Johnny the Bull is on the apron. Rikishi does the sidekick, knocks him out, and then turns around, and then Chuck hits him with his own kick. So I thought that was a cool little uh, opening sequence they had. Chuck really laying the strikes here. Uh, FBI getting some cheap shots on the outside on poor Kish. But like he usually does, Rikishi comes back and kind of powers up. The FBI are looking to come in. And this was a cool moment, too, as right as the FBI start to loom and try to go in for the interference, they get neutralized by Los Guerreros, who make the run in, clear them out, and then Rikishi wins pretty cleanly with the rump shake. But I thought overall this is a pretty fun little deal with the Guerreros coming in. I like the little opening sequence. I give it a nice little solid two. Wow, yeah, I didn't. I only went a quarter star. Um, oh, my. this this is not a few like I don't again <laughs> not a, not a few a few I have bank like FBI versus Rikishi, and then oh. I did say Chuck hit a good belly to belly that I thought was pretty damn good. And then the whole Guerreros thing. I didn't understand Guerreros versus FBI. Uh, Guerreros are like, they're the top contenders for the tag team titles at Mania, so why are they wasting time on the FBI? I, I, I didn't get it, Jake. I went a quarter. I didn't get I it. I think they have, I want to say, like, when FBI first showed up, they had some kind of brief kind of stint with the FBI, maybe. I mean, they just protect Rikishi. I don't know. I just thought it was a fun moment, just them coming in and, like, they want to fucking planch on the FBI, but yeah, maybe I overrated a bit, but no, I, it's I fine. It fine. I, it, it probably yeah. just wasn't for me. That's all. I just right. didn't get it and I didn't understand it and why it was my, here probably my, probably one in three quarters of the star was for that opening deal. I don't know why I enjoyed that so much when Rikishi kicks Johnny the ball off the apron and then just turns around and gets kicked. Gotcha. Like I, I guess I wasn't, I guess I wasn't thinking of them even putting enough effort to come up with that creative of a spot. So I was like, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I anyway, guess you got to consider what it is and consider what you could get and what you actually got. But, yeah, but I kind of yeah, probably could have been three stars and I would have gave it a quarter. Sorry. <laughs> uh, all good. Uh, anyway, we uh, we cut to Taker backstage and he uh, notices that his his uh, protege, Nathan Jones, is just sitting in a dark room kind of rocking to himself. Mm-hmm. He goes to check on him. And he asks him, you know, what's going on, man? We have, uh, you know, what, what are you doing? Nathan says that, Whenever you are in jail, you learn to appreciate silence. And Taker wants him to, uh, you know, silence isn't going to help him at Mania. He wants him to come and scout, train, and show for tonight for their match at uh, at WrestleMania. And uh, I have to say, Sean, I mean, obviously the in-ring thing's going to boom. It's, it's going to, mm. you know, come to fruition. But I don't think they're doing a horrible job of, like, building the Nathan Jones character. Like, it's been okay, I think, so far. Like... This whole thing where he's like rocking in the dark room. I mean, it is a little weird having Taker be the guy who's giving this like weird pep talk. It just kind of doesn't really. I guess it's kind of like Taker's face character a little bit, but it's it's weird to see him like, you know, I don't know, like mentoring a guy. But 
again, I don't think that I think that Nathan Jones character has been okay. Like they're just building him as kind of this like like insane giant, but he also has this like weird Again, I said a few weeks ago, he's he's like carrying cross essentially, is what they're going for. You know, for, it's so like. freaking <laughs> funny, Jake. Because the first note I made, Nate Jones looks like carrying cross's father. Yeah. The note I made, it's hilarious. Um and you know what else was funny in this is like Undertaker is have you seen Nathan Jones or like, oh, we haven't seen him all day, and then Nathan's really like in the room right next to the guy he asked. That was hilarious. Um, and then to your point, Jones already looking like he's ready to check out on the media match, he's rocking back and forth. And then I also made the same note as you. Taker trying to explain wrestling strategy with Jones on the why he should watch the opponent's matches was pretty great. I thought it was funny. Yeah, I, you know, at the time, I remember this being a pretty good build. And for and we talked about earlier how you take these mid-card guys on SmackDown and over on Raw, they would be garbage. And here they actually try to make characters and do something with them. And the build to the match they were going to do at Mania was fairly done pretty great so this is just a piece of that so this is not terrible stuff um but because of what happens at mania long term i think a lot of this is forgotten which is unfortunate because to your point i didn't mind it didn't mind it at the time and i didn't mind watching it this time either yeah i think he's been okay like again they haven't been too, they haven't done like too much with him to make it like he hasn't been too over the top the little video package thing with the people like with the news footage was pretty good like yeah i mean if only he could have just at least been like a giant who would go in the ring and like squash people or something, it might've worked out. But again, we will see where it goes. But again, yeah. uh, judging by what I've seen so far, it has not been terrible, um, but we will see um, a very, uh, Stephanie is, uh, this is a cruel match to book this next one because I uh, just completely <laughs> uh, disregarding any weight class here as we're going to have uh, big show and a train versus Funaki and Tajiri. Uh, so again, just, if I was Funaki into Jury's agent, I would be like, come on, what the fuck? My guys are <laughs> hung out to dry. But uh, Tajiri tells, uh, we get the, I like they do these on SmackDown too. There's these quick, like, pre match little pre tape promos where you have Tajiri telling Funaki that they're going to chop down the trees and he just starts, like, kicking and chopping. But uh, right from the get go, show complete decapitates Funaki, like, just <laughs> batters the fuck out of him. Um, they're just completely wrecking them. I mean, just pure giants destroying little guys. So much so that show just decides to join commentary um, as Train just clobbering both guys. But eventually, the small guys, uh, Funaki and Tajiri, land some double teams that slowly catch up to Train, and he's starting to lose some momentum. Tajiri finally lands a kick to uh, Albert in the to Train in the face, and that uh, makes Show have to head back and save him. Uh, he ends up eating one too, but then Show's had enough, and he ends up choke slamming uh, Tajiri. And then uh, train wreck uh, defeats Funaki. Uh, Albert pins Funaki with that. So um, I didn't mind this as like a, a squash, like a giant team just destroyed. Kind of had an old school feel to it. Just two giants just completely decimating these poor tiny guys. But and then even you get the cool spot where you got Tajiri kick him in the face, so you at least get like a little hope spot. So I ended up going star and a half. I actually went. <laughs> I actually went a two star squash. This squash. Hey. This squash was amazing. Um, yeah. And. And the first note I made was, this looks like something that probably won't end well for the face team. Um, so destroys Funaki with a clothesline and a chop and a press slam, like right out of the gate. Then Sho going to ringside and sitting on commentary and there's a random girl behind him just totally loving them. And why A-Train just is in the ring just destroying both of them. Uh, this was like a brutal, like big dudes killing small dudes. And was just, this looks savage. Uh, and then the potential they had here 
Because what they did here is they made so an A-Train, again, A-Train, very mid-card, right? But mm-hmm. they made him look like a beast against these two smaller guys. And you want to see what this team of Show and A-Train are going to do when they get in the ring with two other big guys and the potential just for those guys to beat the shit out of each other made you want to see that match. Uh, the other note I made is we just saw a segment with Taker said, Jones, they should go see, hey, let's go watch the match. They're nowhere to be seen, so were they watching <laughs> or not? Um, but yeah, good, good shit. Like this is a pure 100% two stars watch. I thought this was amazing. Really good he, could, he couldn't get Nathan Jones out of the dark room. He couldn't get yeah. away from his silence, I, he, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're just giving us a taste of what happens at Mania with them not coming out and watching. So it's cool. I kind of dig this team. Like it's yeah. And it's not a team that they've done in this time frame. I mean, I can't even think of the last, like, like who would have been the last, like, giant team that they did? Because, I mean, I know they did Brothers of Destruction, but that wasn't really, like, a tag team tag team. That was more like a kind of a main event tag sort of thing. They weren't like in the tag division necessarily. But and they should have been like, like yeah. Mm-hmm. Like later on when they, like later years, they did uh show and uh, Kane, right? Big show and Kane. They mm-hmm. should have like, they should have gone all in and done show and a train in this time frame. And they, sh- if they didn't do that, Kane and big show then should have been what this team was showing us now. And they actually, they were dominant, but the tag division was awful, but. Yeah, this is great. This is a classic great big man tag team that they probably could have done a lot more with. This was this was awesome. I love it. Yeah, because now I'm like I'm booking them in the SmackDown tag division, like Rhino and Benoit versus these guys. That could be. I mean, Team Angle, like the two like amateur wrestler technicians against these giants. Like that's mm-hmm. some real fun kind of. You know how would they do those matches? But anyway. Uh, we'll keep on rolling on. We get a recap of Brock beating Heyman, uh, and we see the fans giving their opinions, just kind of building to the big match. You know, the fans are split, of course. You have some that say Brock's going to win. Some say that Angle's going to win. But, you know, they've do they do they they've done this for a long time, these kind of little fan interview segments. Not a whole lot going on here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, I, stuff. I just, that good stuff. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the random thing a little bit, and there was a lot of Kurt Sucks going on in that as well. <laughs> right. But- um, yeah, just good. Like I said, I love this, just the random fan stuff. I like it when they do this sometimes and they don't overdo it. So, right. I was hoping we'd get one fan who would say something weird and crazy. Cause they always seem to have one, like, you know, British Bulldogs going to win whether they liked it or not type of thing, but they were all pretty like standard straightforward. Yeah. Um, all right. We see Sean O'Hare approaches Dawn Marie backstage and Dawn's upset because she did not get picked for Playboy. Um, being the, uh, you know, the uh let's see what you call it, the coercer that Sean O'Hare is. He convinces her that she needs to show her voluptuous body. He kept saying that mm. voluptuous body tonight, and Dawn is into it. So mm. apparently Dawn's gonna show her voluptuous body. I think he specifically said to um to flash the audience. So uh, the Sean O'Hare character, I guess, is just that he like tries to convince people to do stuff that maybe they shouldn't do or that's scandalous. I don't really know. Yeah, Sean O'Hare, well, you'll see him play out over time, too, as we, especially after we get after the WrestleMania. But uh, Sean, he had really great potential. Um, it's re- they, What they do with his run is unfortunate. Uh, the, I did make the comment around, of course, he said Dawn has a great body because no one ever says she has a nice face. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> hey, what about Al? Uh, well, okay, well, yeah, of course Al did, but, you know, she does have a fantastic body. There's no doubt about it. Very beautiful woman. So, um, Tori gives us a pre little pre tape interview and she reveal reveals her uh Playboy cover, so kind of an iconic one. And then we have uh Dawn Marie comes out and she flashes the announcers 
They, of course, love it. They're selling it. And uh, the best line here is that Taz says, uh, hey, coldest one. They call it the Melon Arena. So, awesome yeah. Taz well, line. It, 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 yeah, he goes, it, Taz sees the boobs, and he total goes into cosplay, Lawler. And yeah, I made the same comment. That's why they call it the, the Melon Arena. So, I'm okay with that. Taz doesn't normally do that stuff. When he says random right, comedy nice. stuff, it's okay. It's not like he's, like, gross about it like Lawler. So, it's funny when Taz does it, because you don't expect him yeah. to do that. Yeah. He's like, hey, look at those, look at those boobs. Yes. <laughs> um, we get uh, Cena's weekly rap where he's going, uh, you know, going after Brock. He talks about stealing his finisher that is the FU. Um, I just picked my best lines. Um, I'm, you're gonna go down quicker than a hoe for a five dollar bill. <laughs> um, and then of course I'm gonna whack. <laughs> you're gonna get whacked more than a masturbation tournament. Just <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Could you imagine this flying on like uh, the Fox Network today? This uh, oh. the masturbation rap joke. The other thing he said is Brock's a poster child for birth control. <laughs> yeah, I just love it too. Yeah. It's so it's so kind of random too that he just has this like, but I kind of like it because it's just him kind of seething and like obsessed. Like he just has this hard on for Brock, even though Brock's not paying him any mind right now. Brock is occupied with much bigger things, but seniors just like on the outskirts, like weirdly obsessed with him. It's it's not a bad deal to keep seeing on our minds. I don't know what's going on. So I don't know if he's like injured or they just were trying to keep him off to keep him fresh or something. I don't know. I don't know. He'll Cena is such an underrated time for Cena because we don't get a long time with him. Um, and it makes you, when you watch, go back and watch some of the stuff, especially as it, you know, goes on with your pod and you see more of him as a heel. You're like, man, I really wish they would have done something with him when he was super popular and kind of did something similar like they did with The Rock. Not the Hollywood Rock thing, but make him go full heel Cena with the whole rap gimmick probably could have been a big seller in later years once that whole babyface thing got stale. And I, they never went in on it. It's unfortunate because it probably would have been pretty great. All right, we go to another uh, what looks like a, a fun tag match. It'll be Los Guerreros versus Benoit and Rhino, and uh, the winner will be the number one contenders for the uh, Team Angles tag straps. Uh, Chavo and Benoit start us off. They jockey for some leverage. Uh, Eddie comes in, and so Benoit sends Rhino in after him. Um, and so uh, Eddie tags in Chavo. Chavo actually holds his own against Rhino. He's doing some low drop kicks to try and chop down the big man. Eddie uh, comes in. Uh, he faces off with Benoit. Uh, he pounds Benoit in the wrong corner, and so he ends up getting uh, hit by Rhino, and Rhino tags himself in. Uh, we go back to Eddie and Benoit for a minute. Just classic, there's a sequence here where it's just Eddie and Benoit knocking a complete piss out of each other, just chopping the fuck out of each other. Um, real stiff stuff. But uh, Benoit ends up getting isolated because they don't want anything to do with Rhino, which I like that they, the Guerreros are smart. Like They realize quickly in this match that, if Rhino's in there too much, they're fucked because they just cannot handle him because he's way too big for them. So they just kind of try and isolate Benoit. Good back and forth action here. Rhino, like I liked it throughout the entire match. They made Rhino, like I said, feel like he was like the um, like the X factor here. Like, like he's the game changer. When he comes in, he completely changes the dynamic of the match because he just wrecks he wrecks the Guerreros. So, um, so like you kind of the nice little ebb and flow to this. Like they they kind of work in, like, they slow it down just to pick it back up. So it's not constant balls to the wall, but I like that they kind of took a break and kind of built up to the bigger spots. Uh, just more and more wild spots as things start to get crazier. Uh, Chavo hits a Rana on Rhino uh, and, and tosses him out of the ring. Benoit comes in, lays in the Germans. And then out of nowhere, Team Angle run in with the belts. And uh, we kind of get a – we don't even really get a 
clear DQ here. It's just like unclear who really wins it. But, you know, a little bit of a, we'll see the point of the finish in a second. But besides just kind of like the flat finish of the run finish, it was a real fun match. Just awesome action. Um, but I did think the finish was effective for getting heat on Team Angle. But uh, yeah, I, I, I went three and a quarter on it despite the sort of, like I said, the ho-hum finish. I thought the action in this was really awesome. Jake, I actually, I went three and a half. I love this match. Um, the team of Rhino and Benoit, I mean, even though we talked earlier tonight about how Benoit was going to be stuck in a tag team match and he was might have been possibly in the main event, this Rhino-Benoit team was underrated pretty great at the time. Um, really sick chops on Eddie by Rhino and Benoit. Good back and forth. Eddie holding Chava back from uh, breaking the rules on his buddy, I thought was a nice little angle there. Uh, Chava, of course... Um, he's not great. Um, he does boring chin locks and stuff, but good, good tag work on Benoit from both Guerreros. Uh, Chavo ate some shit on a jump over the rope. Benoit was some like high and awesome Germans on Chavo and then Chavo getting a cross face and then Rhino tags in, um, and Eddie blocked the tilt a whirl into a back suplex on Benoit that looked really great. Um, Eddie dumped way up in the air over the top over the top rope um, frog splash while Chavo was in a cross face followed by a rhino spear was great suplexes all over the place match was awesome and raw should be canceled and we should just get like a whole show <laughs> of just smackdown talent because we have now had two three-star tag team matches on this show tonight and it's freaking amazing but yeah just really really good stuff and to your point team angle kind of making the match could have been a four-star classic with a holy total total ending but I'll go. I, I'll go three and a half. I love this, and it was great. It made me want to see the tag team match at WrestleMania even more. Point. So I'm with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. It turns out having a having a tag division is a good way to kind of fill out your show. Yeah. Good stuff. Yep. But uh, in the follow up to Steph is pissed at Team Angle for um, pretty much screwing over. Now she has no number one contender. So now they're gonna have to face both teams at Mania in a triple threat match for the titles, and so of course they're pissed about that. Well, so. that sucks for us, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we continue on. We get a, a very well done video package with uh, you know, clips of to build up the the Vincent Hogan stuff. It shows like kind of classic Hogan clips, which again we're not shown all. We're not as like ubiquitous as we are today. So it's kind of cool to see this on WWE TV, like WrestleMania three, but, and they did a really awesome job of like specifically picking um, Vince voiceovers for all the Hogan clips and like going throughout the history and make it seem like throughout, like Vince putting Hogan over and how Vince was there for all these great moments of his career. And then they end it with the, uh, the clip of Vince thanking him for Hulkamania. And, uh, and I think too, if you were like a newer fan, because at this point it wasn't like everybody had the network and stuff. Like if you were a newer fan, um, like we young whippersnappers and maybe you never saw all this stuff, it kind of gives you a crash course in, you know, what this storyline is supposed to be about because, and me and JT talked about it, you know, some people crap on this because anytime they bring in anything real life, people crap on it saying fans don't care about the backstage stuff, but this is not like weird cryptic. Vince Russo stuff. This is a pretty broad thing that most people know about. And they're showing you all these clips in case you are a fan that wasn't around. Then they're kind of letting you know, what is the history between these two guys? And I thought this did a really good job of it. So we talked about Austin rock, the story selling itself. Vince Hogan is a story that sells itself as well. And what I love that they did here is 
for those that might not know the history and the simplicity of why this match made sense, they play the old footage. Um, and it, the video told it really well. And Vince's promo is really good. The only He brought up how there was a line around how the only time Hulk Hogan ever said thank you. Um, Vince cut a great promo on how Hogan hurt his family and business and he screwed him, defected into WCW. I just thought it was freaking fantastic stuff. And Vince, Vince pulling out the, you know what? I'll be forced to kill my own creation, Hulkamania, and I will never forgive Hulk Hogan for that alone. So this is an amazing promo. And it gets, mm-hmm. I don't know if it gets enough credit, but this whole video package, Vince promo, his words, what he says, just amazing, amazing stuff here that, again, simplicity sometimes is the best storyline. And this makes total sense to me as a fan. Yeah, and he's in this, like, the way they shot it, too. He has this, like, just like a blue black backdrop, and it's, like, zoomed in. And mm-hmm. they do these kind of weird twists on the camera on his face to make him look insane. And, like, um, he replays that clip over and over. He's like, I want to show this clip again. And it's, like, the one where Hogan thanks him. Because he's like, well, thank you for Aquamania. And Hogan says, thank you. And he says, this is the only time that Hogan's ever thanked me. We used to ride Harleys together. We used to, you know, tear up the town. But you changed and you hurt me. And then he kind of goes like, you know, of course, ridiculous. He calls him a so- calls Hogan a sociopath and all this stuff. So um, and that it's going to be a fight. But I'm with you. Just great. Like the creepy close-up shot. It just all of it is awesome. Um yeah, and it just builds up this feud just with the video package and Vince just being Vince. It just, they're building the storyline super well. Yep, just fantastic stuff. Yeah, but I'm with you. I would go check this out if you haven't seen it in a while. I didn't remember this one well, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, I like the creepy vibe of it with him just like in this blue with the blue backdrop. Like this um, whole pro, this whole video and promo, and I know we want to move on, would sell the whole match for you just in this watch right here. If you just watched this, you were all in to see this match happen. So, yeah, the build has been awesome. Like they yeah. did the awesome promo last week. We get this; it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but we uh, we'll move on to the Matt Hardy. He's having an open challenge. You will challenge anyone who has the proper weight. Uh, our Matt facts uh, for tonight: Matt has never locked his keys in his car, and he hates cleaning his carpet. Um, <laughs> Taz is still going on about the nut butter and the banana juice being the reason that Matt was able to drop the weight. And his challenger tonight is a man in a penguin mask um, who's introduced as the Pittsburgh Penguin in Pittsburgh. Um, as we'll see in a minute, I think it was pretty obvious. It was Brian Kendrick. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't be revealed yet. But uh, um, I love this whole thing because so before this, Matt says, oh, it's an exhibition to see who could fight me. And so, like, Matt's beating the shit out of him. But the moment Kendrick gets any offense, he, like, starts complaining. Like, Matt starts complaining, like, hey, it's only an exhibition, man. Lay off. Which I thought was a great little heel move. But uh, then Matt hits a pretty stiff right hand. I thought it was a nice shot on that one. Uh, he ends up removing the mask to find out it's Brian Kendrick. They keep going at it. Kendrick just won't quit. He hits a face buster and then hits his uh, his signature move, the sliced bread. And that ends up having Matt cowering out of the ring. And he takes the intentional count out and goes the coward the heel route. But uh, again, I, and I do like, you know, I guess you could say, well, Matt looks weak, but it is sort of his character, and I think it's a good heel character to be like, he's a cruiserweight champion. He's probably too big at this point. He made the weight once, and now he's got the weight back. He's bigger than all these guys, but then at the same time, he gets in the ring with these smaller guys, and they start doing these moves, and he just kind of, he's like, he can't hang, so he has to retreat. So that's a good little heel dynamic, which I kind of dug, but the match is pretty fun. I mean, Kendrick could go, and Matt's heel stuff is, is really well done. So this is another two for me. 
Yeah, I would two stars here. Uh, Matt Hardy trying uh, the weight challenge, I think is funny considering current day Hardy. And even here, he clearly doesn't look the cruiserweight weight at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and yeah, it was clearly Kendrick, but it was a lot of fun. Like when his mask comes off, it's actually a fun match. He does some great moves, some great near falls. The slice bread off of Moore was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kendrick uh, music actually hits before the count out is actually even done. So he's already declared the winner before they even finish the count out. But <laughs> Um, I also found it interesting here. I know what you brought up about Hardy losing, but it's also interesting that tonight that Hardy and Ray both lost their matches and they're in one of the big title matches at Mania. So I thought that was a little off kilter from a booking standpoint, but two stars. This was very, very solid. No harm, no foul. And I thought it was, again, the thing with SmackDown is even if the matches aren't fantastic, the entertainment value is so good mm-hmm. that you're going to go initially those two stars because you are thoroughly entertained no matter what. And that's kind of the trend we're seeing here. Right. Better than Rico and Jeff Hardy, like, Correct. around for a few yep. minutes. Correct. <laughs> right. And then, uh, yeah, you definitely, he's somebody I don't remember much of him in this run and where it goes. But, like, Kendrick, they definitely are, are bringing him along. Like, after the match, he gets a little, like, Ray gives him the props for it. So they're... They're putting him in things like you could tell they kind of like him a decent enough, uh, you know, throw him in a few spots here. So I I'm, I kind of remember much about what his run is at this point. So we'll see how old Kendrick yep. along. Um, but with that, we're finally to our big main event match. They give a very, very detailed recap of the Brock Angle feud. You could listen to the last 15 episodes of the podcast if you want to catch up on that. I won't cover everything. Um, but with that, we will go to the match. So it's Angle and Brock for the WWE Championship. Um, but suspiciously, Angle comes out in the uh, Team Angle tracksuit, but he does not take off his hood. Mm. So, mm, well, sketchy. But uh, Brock cameras him the start, ends up nailing with the F5. But then all of a sudden, Brock is looking very suspicious. He goes out of the ring. He seems He's acting like something's wrong. He doesn't cover him for some reason. The announcers are uh, are baffled. And then as he's on the outside of the ring, I think he's like complaining to the ref or something, Angle switches, or who we think is Angle switches with someone else who's in the same tracksuit. Um, Brock comes back in, and um, Angle, uh, the person ends up winning with the small package, and we ends up finding out that it is Kurt Angle, and this was all a big uh, piece of chicanery. Uh, furious Brock, uh, so the real Angle cowers away, is smiling, couldn't be happier with what he just pulled off. And Brock is furious, and we find out that it is actually Angle's brother, Eric Angle. And Brock is pissed, and he F5s him into the ring post and just completely destroys him out of rage. The crowd is very confused at all this. I, I would wonder if you were in the crowd how much, the, like, how, like, without having the commentary and everything to show you, like, I wonder how confused the crowd was. But they're kind of baffled, so... I ended up not even rating it as a match, really. I don't know if you did, Sean, but to me, this was more of like an angle because it didn't really end up being a match. But it's it's a hard one because I think definitely the bait and switch sucks. Like you said, Sean, if you were watching at the time, you were thinking... Oh, I was hot. I was pissed. Right, right. Yeah. Like, so you're getting this big match and then you get the, the bait and switch. Like, if you're watching live, like, that kind of sucks. I do think if you're just looking at it all together and where it eventually goes, I do think it's like a good heat mechanism for Kurt. Like that he built all this shit up and in kind of then he just comes out and pulls this bullshit and like it just makes Brock angry and it just makes you want Brock to get his hands on him more. And then, of course, there's the backstage stuff. So if you know that, you know why they went with this weird route. But I definitely understand if you were watching this, how it could feel kind of shitty. Yeah. So 
with a fresh set of eyes. So take me out of 2003 and take me here to 2022. A couple, couple notes for me. Um, mm-hmm. They played the video build to the main event, which to your point, you've kind of documented the build here, but that video package was great. And it made me remember that I kind of feel like I undersold the build to this match um, going into Mania, because for me, even though I knew the match was going to be great, it wasn't more about the build for me. It was about what the match would actually have because I was into that whole, it's just, they seem natural. So the builds with Hogan and Vince, Jericho, Sean and Rock Austin stood out to me more at the time, but that video that they played tonight going into this match brought me right back in. So, um, and I, and by the way, the other note I made is I, I always wanted to get a team angle hoodie and I regret that I didn't because those hoodies are badass. Um, yeah, this is interesting because at the time I was pissed, but when you recollect and know why they did it, it made a total sense and I was fine with it because what it does is it builds the actual match between the two uh, that we'll actually get to see. And I, by the way, there was also an F5 to the post, which is also always a great visual. And then mm-hmm. Eric Angle actually blades for his brother. Um, I didn't rate it. I'm okay with it. And they used Eric before, I believe, when it's Survivor Series, I believe they used Eric. Was that when they did it? 2002? Trying yes, to remember when yes, they use Eric they again. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they use him there, so they use him here again for the same purpose, and I'm okay with it. Um, so yeah, this is a nice little swerve, and typically you would think you'd see stuff like this in 2003 on a Raw. You would never see it on a SmackDown. So it's not like it's an overplayed trope in retrospect on SmackDown, like you would see on other shows, like on a Monday Night Show, you got it every week. Here, you never saw it, so it might shock you and piss you off at the time, but in retrospect, you look back and say, well, that makes sense because they didn't really ever do it. Um, and you wanted to keep that match going and make sure that we still got the main event and you kept everybody whole. And I think they did a good job with it. I liked it. It was good. Yeah. And I think it's different to do like a bait and switch thing on like a pay-per-view versus free TV. It's like, yeah, you're bummed. You get to see the match. But at this point, you know, too, like if you were thinking, well, what's going to happen? I mean, now, you know, okay, it's going to be like, at least if you're bummed, you get on SmackDown, you can at least say, well, we're definitely getting that mania, which is probably a better stage for it anyway. So, I mean, you probably can't be that pissed. I mean, maybe if you were there live, but that's a very small number of people. Overall, I don't think it is that bad. And, like, Kurt's so good at this stuff. Like, his little shit-eating grin that he kind of tricked Brock is good. Again, it's a good heat mechanism. So, um, overall, I think it's not the worst thing they could have done, given the situation. But uh, and that's kind of how we wrap up the show, with uh, pissed-off Brock uh, destroying Eric Angle and... uh. Yeah, so this one overall, it was definitely held up by the in-ring action because, um, and the Vince promo I think was good uh, as well, but really good uh, in-ring work on here. We had the two good, really good tag matches. Uh, and I did think, I don't think the main event being kind of like a bait and switch really hurt the show all that much because we did get so much good wrestling. Like if we would have got a bunch of bullshit and we're basically if the whole show would have relied on this match and then they didn't do it, I think that would have sucked, but there was enough other good stuff on here, so I'd probably go 6 out of 10. I Spot on. I went 6 out of mm-hmm. 10 as well. I feel like they moved Mania way more than Raw did. Um, we had two awesome tag team matches. The Vince promo is an all-timer that probably doesn't get talked about enough. And the swerve, it keeps you hungry for Brock to face Angle at uh, WrestleMania. So I'm with you, six, 6 out of 10. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I mean, it's legit been like a months-long build to that uh, Kurt uh, Brock mm-hmm. match, so it's they're really putting a lot into it. So, yep, SmackDown delivers pretty well again. Um, very consistent, if nothing else, on SmackDown. But 
Yeah, that wraps us up. Uh, two pretty straightforward uh, episodes here, but we'll get into our awards. Uh, best match, I went with the, uh, I think we're on the same page here, Guerreros versus Rhino and Benoit. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it would get better than the opener they had with Angle, Team Angle, but yeah, uh, definitely the Guerreros versus Rhino and Benoit. Uh, best moment, I went with the Hurricane beating the Rock, the, that whole deal, Rock's facial expression, um, Hurricane running up the ramp, that whole piece of business. Well, it's such a famous moment in time, you almost have to go with it. If there wasn't that moment, I probably would have gone with the Vince promo and how well that whole played out, but it's definitely got to be that Hurricane moment, 100%. Yep. Yep. This was one where I thought, even though I didn't think it was great, maybe uh, if SmackDown had a down week, Raw might be able to steal it, but the streak continues for me for Best Shaw. I'm going to go SmackDown. Oh, hands down, SmackDown. LVP, there's a few, depending on how you look at LVP, I think a case could be made for Maven just because (laughs) they just made him look like he was completely worthless. But if you're thinking about positioning, I think you could easily go with Triple H again as LVP given Um, his position. Um, I think I'm going to stay on brand with other pods I do and go with Jeff Hardy. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah, he looked rough, too. He looked expendable. Um, yeah. MVP, I mean, Oof. I think I have to give it to Rock again just because, like we said, he carried that show. I mean, there were some good performances on SmackDown, but it was more of a team effort where Rock is just so critical to Raw right now. Like you said, it's hard to imagine how shitty it would be if he wasn't there. Yeah, hands down The Rock, but if Raw was a decent show, I'd probably have to give it to Vince just for that whole promo he cut on Hogan. But yeah, hands down The Rock. Uh, who'd you have as your other standouts uh, on these, Sean? Um, well, I had Vince, obviously. Um, let's see, who else? Um, you got to give it to The Hurricane mm-hmm. as well, because he, he played a big part in that narrative. And I actually went with uh, Team Angle, because... They are so underrated good, and they were so good in that tag team match. And it made, it's, that match brought me back right to how much I really, really, truly really enjoyed them. And I forgot how much I enjoyed them to the point of where I'm going to really have to start following closely and stay close to this pod to continue to see how their journey goes so I can just reinvest myself in them. So that, that would be kind of be my call outs. Yeah, pretty much uh, like almost every tag team, all those tag, all those tag uh, teams on SmackDown, like Los Guerreros were great. Rhino and Benoit were really mm-hmm. good. Um, I think Angle, even though it's kind of limited, I thought he did a good job in that whole Angle, like, again, just being a complete shitbag at the end, like smiling about the whole thing, and then leaving his brother to get his ass beat was funny, too. Though I thought he's always good. But, yeah, Vince was great in that promo. I'm trying to think to Raw if anyone really said. I mean, it's hard to say Stone Cold really had a standout. It was more just like a baseline sort of solid Stone Cold performance. I mean, you could say Ric Flair cosplaying Ric Flair. I mean, I mean, there's a couple you could do if you really wanted to stretch it, I guess. Ric Flair trying to show Triple H a better way to cut the promo he's cutting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. But uh, but anyway, uh, that wraps us up, Sean. Uh, it was nice to have you back after the uh, the long hiatus. It was nice to come and let you cover an episode in the build to your favorite WrestleMania of all time. Would some would say the best WrestleMania of all time? A highly debated subject that'll never get solved. But uh, but as you can see, the bill, like, here's the thing. Like, many people call Mania 17 the greatest. And if you think about the build to WrestleMania 17, it was really good. Whereas here, the build is good, but it's different. And so there's so many comparisons you can make. And you don't have to debate it. Just enjoy what you enjoy. And for me, this is 100% one of those WrestleManias that I could put on any time. And 
I'll walk away every time saying this is the greatest of all time. And that's just me personally. But I love being on the show. Thank you. It's been too long. Hopefully mm -hmm. next time won't take as long. Um, but thank you for having me back. I am I was very happy to be here tonight. So thank you. Right. Um, before we peace out, tell us about um, Seven Months of Danger. Okay, Seven Months of Danger is a limited series podcast we are doing here on the North-South feed, looking at the beginning, middle, and end of the Dangerous Alliance. Uh, I think as the, this one drop, this episode drops, we will be dropping uh, episode number six or close to episode number six. So um, please give that one a listen. That's a lot of fun. Um, I get to do it with uh, Logan Crossland. I get to do it with Scott Shiflett and Matsuza. And then we bring, we bring in the big hitter. We bring in Jake for all the clashes and the pay-per-views <laughs> during that time frame. So uh, he joined us for uh, the infamous Clash 17 with the whole Sting Rude thing, which was a lot of fun. So please give that one a listen if you have not listened to it. That one is a lot of fun, and it really has a firm end date of how long the pod lasts, which has kind of been my new thing where I just love doing these. Might be a new thing that I do going forward after I finish doing this one is just do these mini pods around certain eras, maybe uh, feuds, whatever. But on top of NWA Crack and Roll, which is more of the long term, uh, this one is a lot of fun to do. And you also get to deep dive into 92 WCW beyond just the Dangerous Lions. Unfortunately, you get things like the Freebirds and the Patriots as well, but it's also fun to look at that as well. So please give that one yes. a listen. That's what I thought you were talking about. We just have heavy hitters. <laughs> no, but they sure make you try to believe they are. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's a super fun era. Honestly, it's weird. It kind of, I think there's some weird parallels. To, not weird, but just kind of parallels to this era of SmackDown and those kind in that era of WCW, like those 92 Saturday nights and stuff where you just had all those Dangerous Alliance guys kind of had a similar vibe as a smackdown six that's a really good kinda, comparison yeah i never thought right about just kind of throwing out these the same kind of arrangements of these guys and just knowing that they could deliver so it's kind of cool but yeah yep. it's a great pod go check it out um but again thanks sean you, you knocked it out like uh like big show knocking out food knocking on this episode so i appreciate you coming on no problem uh, as for me i'll be back in two weeks and we'll we'll continue on the road to wrestlemania and eventually we'll be in seattle for wrestlemania 19 so i'll see you next time
Wondering if you could ever go home 